Hey everyone, my name is Abby Rancor. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Millennial Learns. We are doing a series where we go over all the facts and the history of every state in the United States in the order that they joined the union. So we are on number 15, which is Kentucky. Very interesting state. I have been like tempted to go and check out Kentucky for a very long time now because it looks so pretty and I don't know, I feel like if we ever move from Colorado, it could be to like Tennessee, Kentucky area because the weather seems like kind of mild. It seems very beautiful, rural in some areas, obviously not in every area, but it feels like you can get a lot of land for not that much money and it just seems like a beautiful state. So I am excited to tell you all that I've learned about the history of Kentucky. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so as usual, um, I like to give a few kind of background facts and figures, you know, population, geography, all that kind of thing, uh, to give us a little context about the state, where we are geography-wise and stuff. So if you don't know, Kentucky is getting towards the East Coast, but it's landlocked. So it actually borders seven states. So it borders Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, Illinois and Indiana are to the north, Ohio also to the north, West Virginia, Virginia, and Tennessee. So it is very, there's a lot of neighbors, but a lot of those just barely touch um, Kentucky. So yes, so we're getting towards the east coast, but landlocked. So there are six geographical regions within Kentucky, which makes it very interesting it seems like when we've discussed kind of moving there, I always imagine these just flat plains of, you know, beautiful land that you can just, you know, see for miles and stuff, but it's not quite like that. So the furthest east is the mountain region. So it's part of the Appalachian mountain chain uh, and it is a land of coal fields. So that is called the Eastern Kentucky coal field. So that's the mountain region. Then we go a little bit west of that and there's this horseshoe shaped, what they call the knobs region. So this says that erosion has created knob shaped hills called Monadnox. This is part of the Daniel Boone National Forest. And so that's just west of the Appalachian Mountains. Then in the middle of that horseshoe shaped region, we have the bluegrass region, which is what I think I picture <laughs> when I talk about Kentucky, because that is where I think it's just flatter and a lot of grass and, you know, very pretty. Then we have the pennyroyal region, which is named after a type of a mint plant that grows that spreads west across the center of the state. So we're kind of going from east to west here. It's rocky, which I never think of Kentucky as very rocky, but this region is rocky with trees, lakes, and, you know, just beautiful nature scenery. And then the world's longest cave is also in this region in Kentucky. So it's 350 miles long and it is indeed the world's longest cave, which I didn't even know was in America, honestly, but 
Um, it is, and it's in Kentucky. Then we move a little bit more west. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, yeah, so there's six regions, so we are on the fifth one. And we move a little more west. It's the western coalfield region. This is a hilly area, and it covers about 4,600 square miles. And it's just, you know, all that square mileage is coal. So that is kind of the second to the most west region. And then the far west is the Jackson Purchase area. It was added to Kentucky actually after. It wasn't originally part of Kentucky. It was added in 1818. And it's a lowland, lowland with ponds, lakes, and swamps. So very, very diverse geography all throughout Kentucky. I don't know like what the cities or towns are like in each of these regions, but just based off geography, I think I would want to live in the bluegrass region because it's surrounded by that knobs region, but it's like seems flat and really pretty in there. So um, the state motto is United We Stand, Divided We Fall, and the population is about four and a half million people. Okay, so let's talk about climate because this is always the selling point for moving to a state because if it's you know not the right weather you're gonna be miserable if you really hate the weather of an area like when I researched I think it was New Hampshire or Vermont one of them had like 68 inches of snow or like 80 inches of snow when the average is 38 like I'm not gonna like that area at all because it just has way <laughs> too much snow for me um, so the climate, 48 inches of rain, the average is 38 inches, the national average. So more rain than usual, only 11 inches of snow. The national average is 28 inches. So very good if you don't like super harsh winters. It has slightly less sunny days than average at about 189 a, a year. The national average is 205. And the summer high gets almost to 90 degrees. It's 87 degrees in the summer. The winter low is about 24 degrees. So you're not getting too, too cold, but you do get pretty hot in the summer. It gets to almost 70% humidity in the summer. So September, May, and June are the most comfortable months to go. And January and December are the least comfortable, although it's not as uncomfortable as a lot of other states that we've looked at because the, the low doesn't get super low. So the overall comfort index of Kentucky is about 7.3 and the national average is 7. So overall, it's a very comfortable state, which again, it makes it a contender if we ever move from Colorado. Um, okay, so let's start talking about the history of the state. So again, I'm going to do a full podcast, I think, about the Native Americans who actually lived here before the state histories, but this timeline actually starts in 1739 that I found and um, so that's when we're going to start in this history. So Captain Charles de Longwill discovers Big Bone Lick which is a place in Kentucky and that's actually now a state park. So the name Big Bone Lick comes from in prehistoric times basically they think that this area was a salt lick and that a bunch of animals would come and gather at this salt lick and when they died there um, you can find a bunch of fossilized bones of these animals so that's why it's called big bone lick and that is now a state park that you can visit and get like a whole tour and a bunch of 
history and stuff and they can walk you through uh it looks really cool where they can walk you through all this this history so that was discovered in 1739 in 1750, Thomas Walker explored Kentucky through the Cumberland Gap, so they're kind of moving west and exploring more. In 1751, Christopher Gist, or Gist, I think it might be Gist, explores the area along the Ohio River. So again, just more exploration happening in that same area, Kentucky borders Ohio. And then in 1763, technically France owned the area that included Kentucky, but they ceded that area to Britain in 1763. Okay, 1769, Daniel Boone and a man named John Finley, uh, they first saw the far distant bluegrass atop Pilot Knob, now in Powell County. The recorded date is June 7th, 1769. So, bluegrass is a very big thing in Kentucky that comes from the bluegrass that grows in the state. That's also why it's called the bluegrass region. And so that was first spotted in 1769 by Daniel Boone. So Daniel Boone was a major player in the exploration of Kentucky. In 1774, a man named James Harrod constructed the first permanent settlement in Kentucky that was called Fort Harrod just named it after himself. Very creative. <laughs> um, and then he also started building a town called Harrodstown. And the Indians forced the settlers to withdraw and they returned in 1775. So it was not a long lasting town. It only lasted one year from 1774 to 1775. In 1775, the towns of Boiling Springs and St. Asaph were both settled. Um, also in that year, Indians gave Richard Henderson the land between Ohio and the Cumberland Rivers. So um, a lot of the borders were obviously, you know, created from the rivers and stuff. So anything between the Ohio River and the Cumberland River was given for the Transylvania Land Company. Also in 1775, Daniel Boone built the Wilderness Trail and established a new fort called Fort Boonesboro. Again, I guess if you just established a fort, you're just naming it after yourself, but I like the name Boonesboro. That's kind of creative. Okay, 1776, Harrodsburg settlers, jealous of Boonesboro, send George Rogers Clark and John Jones to ask Virginia's aid. Virginia declares Transylvania Land Company illegal, and that this creates Kentucky County. So a lot of drama happening with these settlers and forts and everything, but in the end, it's just all getting settled. The Transylvania Land Company is now illegal. They cannot operate. Okay, then 1778, the longest siege in United States frontier history was the 13-day siege of Fort Boonesboro in September of 1778. So this is happening in, like, during the war. So it's really an interesting story. I really need to maybe do a whole podcast on Daniel Boone because his life is very interesting just based off the story of this siege. Um, but basically it was led by Chief Blackfish, who was a Shawnee leader, but he was allied to the British during the Revolutionary War. So they say that months before this battle actually happened, Chief Blackfish had captured Daniel Boone and adopted him. Now I'm not exactly sure like the extent of what adopted him means in this context but 
you know, Daniel Boone was the founder of Boonesboro and now he was captured by Chief Blackfish. So he was stuck there for a while, but then eventually escaped the Shawnees in order to lead the defense of Boonesboro. So it was Chief Blackfish against Daniel Boone and, you know, all their men. So Blackfish's siege was not successful. It was lifted after, you know, 10 days. And Boone was then court-martialed by the people on his own side, like his fellow officers court-martialed him because they suspected him of having British sympathies. I'm not exactly sure why, because he escaped and defended Boonesboro, but they were, you know, very suspicious of him, and so they court-martialed him. He eventually was acquitted, but he, you know, he moved away from Boonesboro because he basically just got betrayed by his own men. So, yeah, so that is, all of that happened in uh, 1778. Okay, in 1779, the First Baptist Church of the Allegheny Mountains was formed at Elizabethtown. Oh, and I just said it wrong. I realized it's Allegheny Mountains. So uh, the first Baptist church west of the Allegheny Mountains (laughs) was formed at Elizabethtown. In 1782, what they call the last battle of the American Revolution was fought at Blue Licks, which is near Mount Olivet. But uh, Blue Licks, obviously this is relevant because it's in Kentucky. Uh, 1784, the first of 10 conventions were held to prepare the way for separation of Kentucky from Virginia. So up till this point, Kentucky and Virginia were the same thing. If you remember our history of Virginia episode, Virginia was a huge like landmass. The colony of Virginia was very large. And so eventually Kentucky split off and also West Virginia split off. So now we see Virginia as a pretty kind of reasonably sized state in comparison with all the other ones in that region, but it used to be included, you know, Kentucky used to be included with Virginia. Okay, so eight years after, you know, Virginia and Kentucky were separated, uh, Kentucky became the 15th state on June 1st, 1792. The governor became Isaac Shelby, and then the capital was first Lexington and then Frankfurt. So in 1794, um, there was there were still ongoing battles with the Native Americans that were happening um, in Ohio and Kentucky. And so this man named General Wayne, who they called General Mad Anthony Wayne, he had a victory at Fallen Timbers in Ohio, which ended any Indian attacks in Kentucky. On July 4th, of that same year in 1794, Colonel William Price held the first Independence Day celebration in the West. That was in Jessamine County, Kentucky. He was a Revolutionary War veteran, and so he kind of kicked off the Independence Day celebrations in 1794. In 1798, the legislature passes the Kentucky Resolutions, which opposed the United States Alien and Sedition Acts. So I wanted to get a little bit more in-depth information about what those acts actually said. And so this is what uh, one of my sources said that the Alien and Sedition Acts were. So it says, as noted, these resolutions were written in response to the Alien and Sedition Acts, which were four separate laws passed in the midst of an undeclared war at sea, 
with revolutionary France. Among other things, the Alien Acts granted the president the power to seize, detain, and ultimately deport any non-citizen he deemed dangerous to the United States, regardless of whether the nation was at war. Accused aliens were given no right to a judicial hearing or to hear the specific charges against them. The Sedition Act made it a crime to write, print, publish, or utter anything false, scandalous, or malicious against the U.S. government, Congress, or the president. So way overstepping like freedom of speech and all of that. So the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions of 1798 were Democratic Republican responses to the Alien and Sedition Acts passed earlier that same year by a Federalist dominated Congress. Drafted in secret by future presidents Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, the resolutions condemned the Alien and Sedition Acts as unconstitutional and claimed that because the acts overstepped federal authority under the Constitution, they were null and void. This says the resolutions have a complicated history and legacy. They were an early defense of the Constitution's protection of civil liberties, especially freedom of speech in the press. However, because they argued that the acts illegally usurped powers reserved for the states, they also became the founding documents in the states' rights movement and were cited by antebellum supporters of state nullification and secession in the mid-19th century and by advocates of resistance to federal school desegregation orders in the mid-20th century. So... Yes, they were used in uh, kind of negative contexts later on uh, to justify slavery and stuff through states' rights arguments. But for this, they were a big like way to defend free speech. Okay, so then this timeline kind of shows the history of like the church and Christianity within Kentucky. In 1801, the great church camp meeting at Cane Ridge in Bourbon County was attended by over 20,000 people. So big Christian influence in Kentucky. Okay. In 1812, Kentuckians bear the brunt of the war with England, north of the Ohio and in New Orleans. So again, there's a lot of fighting in this region still in 1812. Well, that, that was in the War of 1812, so, but I didn't realize that the War of 1812 really affected Kentucky at all, but they were very heavily affected. In 1818, the westernmost region of the state was annexed following its purchase from the Chickasaw Indians. So again, Kentucky was not as big as it is today. That most western region was added in 1818. In 1819, the first commercial oil well was dug on the Cumberland River. And then in the 1830s, as we've seen with a lot of other states, the transportation was, you know, a big focus and opening canals and things like that. So two or the Louisville and Portland Canal was opened in 1830. Zachary Taylor was uh, became president of the U.S. in 1849. He was a hero of the Mexican War. He is from Kentucky, and he became the 12th president. In 1850, Kentucky was listed as the most populated, or the, as the eighth most populated state in the nation in the 1850 census, and there were almost a million citizens. So it was just shy of a million at 982,000 citizens. 1861, Kentucky actually was neutral in the American Civil War. This, 
Civil War Kentucky had supplied about 86,000 troops to the north and 40,000 troops to the south. Ironically, south-central Kentucky was the birthplace of both the Union President Abraham Lincoln and the Confederate President Jefferson Davis, further enhancing the state's dualistic role in the Civil War. Fort Jefferson, the first settlement in western Kentucky, was one of the first Kentucky positions occupied by Union troops after the Confederates seized the area surrounding Columbus in September 1861. So a lot happened in the war in Kentucky, but they did not choose a side because really the Civil War was... Yeah, there were some neutral states, and Kentucky was definitely one of them because both sides really had roots in Kentucky. So they sent troops to both sides. I had assumed that neutrality in the war meant you're not sending troops to anyone, but they sent troops to both. So kind of interesting there. In 1862, the first major battle on Kentucky soil during the Civil War was fought near Prestonsburg on January 10th, 1862, and then... The bloodiest Civil War battle on Kentucky soil was the Battle of Perryville on October 8th of the same year. Nothing else crazy, it doesn't seem, at least not anything that's noted on the time. This timeline happened in the Civil War, so it sounds like they just stayed neutral and a lot of the fighting happened elsewhere. But in 1865, the University of Kentucky was founded at Lexington, and the first Kentucky Derby was run at Churchill Downs in 1875, which is crazy. 1875 is so long ago, and the Kentucky Derby has been happening ever since then. I'm pretty sure, and I might have to fact check this at the end, I'm pretty sure COVID was like the first time they've missed a Kentucky Derby race since 1875, but I will look that up and make sure that that is accurate. The present state constitution was adopted in 1891, and then in 1892, the radio was invented by a Kentuckian. His name was Nathan B. Stubblefield, and that was in Murray, Kentucky. Okay, between 1899 and 1900, Kentucky had four different governors in less than three months. Okay, so I had to look up the history of why there could possibly have been four governors in three months, you know, in Kentucky. So there, I couldn't find a website or anything or a source that explained the entire story just in one continuous Thing. So I had to go and research each governor, but it was worth it. This is a very dramatic story that we're about to go into here. So the first governor in this time period, like, you know, the first of the four, was this man named William O'Connell Bradley. Now, I didn't have to do much research into him because his term was from 1895 to 1899. Seems like a normal four-year term. No, no drama yet. The next governor's name is William S. Taylor. Now, Taylor won the 1899 Republican gubernatorial nomination, and then he went on to defeat the Democratic candidate, William Goebel. William Goebel is the third of the four governors. So here's where it gets interesting. Taylor beat Goebel in a very, very close election. He was sworn in on December 12, 1899. However, the legislature was controlled by Democrats and Taylor was a Republican, and the Democrats contested his right to take office on the grounds that the election was only won by ballot fraud. So this whole thing about 
people not accepting the outcome of the elections and stuff like that, it's not new. Okay, this happened in 1899. It's happened actually, I think a few times that we've researched, but this one in, in particular happened in 1899 and they said that Taylor only won the governorship by ballot fraud. So Goebel appealed this and there were assassination threats made against Goebel if he won his appeal. So on January 30th, 1900, Goebel was walking into the state house and he got shot. So they tried to murder Goebel because he was trying to appeal the election results and actually become the governor instead of Taylor who had won the election. Okay. So the next day, the legislature outed Taylor from the governorship because they thought that Taylor was part of the assassination attempt of Goebel. So the day that the legislature outed Taylor from the governorship, they proclaimed Goebel the governor. So now we've had three governors in the last, you know, four days, or no, sorry, in the last two months. So in 1889, or sorry, in 1899, William O'Connell Bradley just left his governorship as usual. William Taylor was governor between December 12th and January 30th. Goebel was shot. Goebel was declared the governor. But then Goebel died three days later. So then a man named John Kreps Wycliffe Beckham, who was the lieutenant governor when this all this drama happened, assumed the governor role because he was kind of like the next in line. So that is how they got four governors, you know, in three months, basically. Um, so Taylor was charged with the murder and conspiracy charges. He tried to flee the state. Well, he did flee the state to avoid arrest. He was never extradited. He lived the rest of his life in Indiana and he worked as an insurance executive. He eventually got pardoned in 1909, so the then-Governor Augustus E. Wilson pardoned Taylor and everyone else who was involved in the assassination of William Goebel, and um, he ended up being buried in Indiana instead of Kentucky. So lots of drama, an assassination, and not accepting election results. It's all kind of a crazy story, but that's how they ended up with four governors in three months. Okay, in 1909, the current state capitol building was completed. And um, in 1912, the last county was created in Kentucky. It has 120 counties. And that last, Kentucky, that last county, which is McCreary County, was formed. In 1904 to 1909, there's something called the Black Patch War. And it ends a tobacco buying monopoly. So it was like a war over an economy, basically over tobacco buying. In 1921, women could serve on juries, which was new. And then in 1926, Mammoth Cave National Park is established and the cardinal was adopted as Kentucky's state bird and the goldenrod as the state flower, but we'll go over all the symbols here in a little bit. In 1933, the Tennessee Valley Authority begins 
uh, building dams in Kentucky. So a lot of like public projects and stuff are happening. And in 1936, the last legal public hanging took place in Kentucky on August 14th. It says Florence Thomas or Florence. Florence Thompson was the first female sheriff in Davis County history. She was in charge of Kentucky's last legal hanging. And then a U.S. gold depository was established at Fort Knox. That was all in 1936. Okay, 1944, a Kentucky, the Kentucky Dam on the Tennessee River was completed. So again, lots of these public projects are being built and completed. In 1950, an atomic energy plant was built in Kentucky. In 1962, Kentucky was the first state that was given control of its uh, nuclear energy materials by the federal government. So I didn't even know that was really a thing where states were given control of that or not given control of that, but the federal government granted control of their nuclear energy materials. Um, 1964, Western Kentucky Parkway was opened and the Kentucky Central Parkway was opened in the following year of 1965. In 1966, Kentucky was the first southern state that passed a comprehensive civil rights law. And then, again, there's more dams that are being built and dedicated. So the Barkley Dam on the Cumberland River was dedicated also in 1966. Um, in 1969, the Tennessee Valley Authority builds a steam generating plant in Paradise, Kentucky. 1988, voters approved the establishment of a state lottery. There's an Education Reform Act passed in 1990. In 2005, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled against the display of the Ten Commandments inside two of the Kentucky courtrooms. I remember when this got passed. I feel like this was big news. I was like 10 and I definitely remember hearing about this and, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, our country is losing faith, <laughs> um, which is true. Like it has just gotten worse since then. But anyway, that happened in 2005. Um, a lot of these, again, like this, these timelines, whenever they do um, events in the 2000s, it's always like big tragic things like a flight crash near Lexington and 49 people were killed, you know, so, um, like one of them in 2010 is a man killed five people and himself in an argument about breakfast. I don't know how that's news, but also in 2010, Tea Party candidate Rand Paul won the Republican Senate primary, which was big news because, you know, the Tea Party was a big thing in 2010. Um, so, he actually won a Republican seat, which was very out of the norm. Um, in 2011, an Australian man held in Louisville on charges of locking a fake bomb around the neck of a Sydney teenager. And then in 2012, powerful storms and tornadoes killed 12. The 2000 events are never like uplifting or really that informative. It's always like just these tragic events. So don't love that. Okay, famous people that are from Kentucky include Johnny Depp, Muhammad Ali, Abe Lincoln, Jennifer Lawrence, George Clooney, uh, Chris Stapleton, Josh Hutcherson, and Jack Harlow. A lot of famous people from Kentucky, actually. I should add 
Jefferson Davis on there because we did mention that he's the pre he was the president of the Confederate uh, the Confederate States, and he was also born in Kentucky. So we mentioned Abe, but we should also mention Jefferson Davis. All right, let's get into state symbols. So the state bird is the Northern Cardinal. They have a state bluegrass song, which is interesting, uh, but that is called the Blue Moon of Kentucky. They have a state butterfly, which is the Viceroy Butterfly. Their state dance is clogging. Their state drink is milk. Pretty stereotypical to have a milk as your state drink. Uh, the fish is the Kentucky Spotted Bass. The flower is the Goldenrod, as we mentioned. The fruit is the Blackberry. They have a state gun, which is the Kentucky Long Rifle. Their state horse is a thoroughbred because of the thoroughbred racing in the Kentucky Derby. I didn't realize that the Kentucky Derby, only three-year-old horses could run, and you can only run it one time. So... I didn't realize that, like, I thought you could come back next year and try again. That is not the case. For the Kentucky Derby horses, it's one and done. And that's why it's such a big deal if you win a Triple Crown, because you only have one chance to race all these races, and so you've won all three of these huge ones. So, pretty impressive to be a Triple Crown racer when you only got one shot at it. The state music is bluegrass. You know, that's... Uh, I can see that one coming. <laughs> the musical instrument is the Appalachian dulcimer, which I didn't even know what that was. So I will try to describe it. Um, basically, the Appalachian dulcimer is a stringed instrument, and it looks like it's kind of like a guitar, but there's like two chambers so it looks like almost a figure eight but filled in with strings that's probably not a very good description maybe you should just look it up i've also seen ones that are um flats like big boards but i think the appalachian dulcimer is specifically like one you can hold in your hand and it's this kind of figure eight shape so that is the dulcimer the sports car is a corvette because there's like a corvette factory there or Corvette Museum. Um, the state tree is the tulip poplar, and the wild game animal is the gray squirrel. Attractions. Things you can see when you're in Kentucky. So, the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory are in Kentucky. That kind of makes sense. There's a Kentucky Bourbon Trail. So, again, they make Kentucky Bourbon. That's a huge thing. I'm surprised the state drink isn't bourbon. That seems like it would be definitely somehow enshrined in the state symbols, but it doesn't seem to be. So you can go on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. You can also see the Kentucky Bourbon, or the Kentucky Derby Museum. You can also see Churchill Downs, which is where they actually run the Kentucky Derby. There is something called the Big Four Bridge, which used to be a, rail, a railroad, which they've converted to a pedestrian pathway that connects Kentucky to Indiana. There is the Corvette Museum, and then there's also something called the Ark Encounter, which is a replica of Noah's Ark that they built to scale from, you know, the dimensions in the Bible, so you can go see the actual, like, scale of Noah's Ark, which is pretty cool. Um, the National Quilt Museum is also in Kentucky, which may not be interesting to some people, but, you know, with my new homesteading adventures, I do kind of want to get into quilting, so maybe if I visit Kentucky, I'll have to go to the Quilt Museum. And then the longest running distillery 
which you always hear about on ads now. I feel like their ads are everywhere. Buffalo Trace Distillery is also in Kentucky and that you can go see. Okay, and then the last thing I really wanna highlight is the weird laws of Kentucky. I like this new segment as you know, something to add to all these episodes because I feel like there's just so many weird laws that people passed for a very, very specific purpose at one point that are just not enforced anymore. So here are some of the weird laws in Kentucky. So in London, Kentucky, it is illegal to engage in any sexual activities on a parked motorcycle. Uh, so I don't know why you would do that anyway, but that is a law. It is illegal to go fishing with a bow and arrow. Um, in Owensboro, Kentucky, if a woman wants to buy a hat, they need to obtain their husband's permission before buying the hat. You cannot bully any store clerks or fellow shoppers. You cannot dye chicks, ducklings, or baby bunnies the color blue in Kentucky. It's a very specific rule. Um, every citizen of Kentucky is required to shower once a year. Anyone who has been drinking is deemed sober until they cannot hold on to the ground. Um, I don't even really know what that means, but you are considered sober until you can't hold on to the ground. You cannot release a feral hog back into the wild. This doesn't actually... I mean, that seems kind of like not that weird because I think there are a lot of feral hogs and I don't think they want to be released back into the wild. I don't know. That one didn't seem as weird to me, but whatever. It's on the list. Um, a woman can only marry the same man three times. So if you're trying to go back and marry the same man for the fourth time, no luck for you. You cannot trade horses after dark. It used to be illegal to work on a Sunday. Women in bikinis used to require police protection. The law was recently repealed. Um, and it was only for women who weighed between 90 and 199 pounds. So that's very odd. And then in Kentucky, you cannot walk around with an ice cream cone in your pocket. <laughs> so those are the weird rules of Kentucky. Um, Oh, it's also illegal to throw flowers at a public speaker in Kentucky. So those are the 14 weirdest rules. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. That is all I have for the history of Kentucky. And I hope you all enjoyed. So I will see you next week for the history of Tennessee. Tennessee is also another big contender of, you know, where we might possibly move way down the road. So I'm excited to research Tennessee as well. I hope you enjoyed the episode and make sure to leave a uh, review and rate the podcast if you haven't already. All right. Thanks everyone. Bye.